Got Your Ears On is brought to you by Tactical Legion Knives. Live from the campus of Top Radio, under the direction of Guido, Scoot, and Johnson, it's the pride of podcasting. It's Got Your Ears On. All right, everybody. Happy New Year. Hello and welcome to Got Your Ears On. I'm Guido along with Scoot. Hey. And Johnson. A lot to unpack since last time, Guido. Man, we have a lot to talk about, Johnson, from a football bowl win, which we'll talk about later on in the show, to what might be the craziest week we've had in a while for West Virginia basketball, both you know, with news and things happening and like sort of just general emotionally for us as as fans. But uh, to talk about basketball with us this week, we're so excited to have Brett Solheim back with us. Brett, thanks for coming back. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. We haven't scared you off yet. That's what's that's what's good. (laughs) Not yet. You haven't been like, I don't want to talk to these these fools. (laughs) No way. I, I always have a good time coming on. So thanks for inviting me again. So, uh, I guess. I guess where we should probably start, guys, is Oscar has left the program, allegedly for Miami. He's heading down uh, to South Beach. Um, Johnson, what what's sort of your initial take on Shuibe, Oshuibe leaving the program? <laughs> well, I think it's Oshuibe. funny. Yeah, Oshuibe. He will always be the Irishman Oshuibe to... <laughs> Uh, who was that? That was um, Dan Dockage. That was Dan Dockage. Yeah, that's right. Now, I think for me, that was such a weird, um, fast-moving story. So Scoop brought it to my attention that Friday. And uh, it was, if you remember Guido, it was presented as uh, he's stepping away for personal reasons. Then right on the heels of that, um I'm trying to remember to give him proper credit. I don't remember who tweeted it out, but the, you know, then we had hugs on a zoom call and someone said, you know, when, or will Oscar be joining the team? And you, you were reading, um, no, absolutely not. So to me, that was such a fast moving, like trying to process number one, he's not with the team. Number two, he's never coming back to the team. Um, you know, you felt like there was, there had to be something else behind the scenes and then to your point about Miami, then we started to hear some of that stuff. So today he's officially in the transfer portal. That seems like a formality now. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the, you know, I felt like just as we were getting and just as WVU Twitter <laughs> was getting their head around it, it was sort of like, and there's more to the story. And Brent, like from your perspective, you know, this comes what what I thought was sort of kind of kind of weird about it, and I get I, I get it. It was Northeastern, but this comes after probably his first decent game of the year. Uh, you know, days a day two after that, and then he's gone. But I think we all kind of felt leading up to this that something was wrong with Oscar all season. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't disagree with you. He, you know, he came out and had such a impactful freshman year. You know, he's on all of these watch lists for all of these awards um, for this year. Obviously didn't come out, you know, we're having a successful 10 games, you know, first part of the season and he's not putting up the numbers that I think a lot of people were expecting. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to speculate too much here, but I think that's kind of why you guys have me on the show is to, uh, you know, talk about it from a basketball, you know, team players perspective. So I don't know if he had someone in his ear 
after um, 10 games where, hey, Oscar, it's not your fault. It's the coach's fault, you know. Um, how prevalent How prevalent is that in college basketball where you've got your coaching staff, but some guys, I'm sure, depending on how highly touted they were in high school and maybe even what some of the AAU programs that they might have been associated with, how prevalent is it that some of these kids have quote-unquote handlers or or people kind of not agents but almost like pre-agents trying to guide them probably with the idea that down the road that these people will benefit from these kids later on okay so i saw a little bit of that you know 25 years ago but one thing that's significantly different about now is i didn't have a cell phone back then we didn't have social media so for someone to reach out to me they would have had to call my dorm room or call my room at my apartment now every kid has a phone and he's accessible to everyone from back home at any time. After every game, they can read the comments about them, you know, if they're playing great or playing poorly. You'll see all kinds of, if they have a great game, there'll be people putting the goat emoji, you know, like they're the greatest thing that's ever happened. But if they're, um, if they don't have a good game or if they don't have several good games, people will get on and just post, you know, maybe from anonymous um, pages hey, your, your game is garbage. Your game's trash. You're not an NBA player, you know? And I follow some of these guys on Instagram and Facebook and all that. And there's some very positive comments, but there are some people that are just unbelievably nasty. And I, I can understand how that could get into a 18, 19, 20-year-old kid's head. I mean, I when, when I played, I had one instance where someone left a voicemail in my dorm room that said, you guys are going to get, you know, your, your ass is kicked by UMass. And, and I apologize for the language. I know this is a family show, but uh, I, I laughed it off. But for someone to go to their social media page and see your garbage on every post, you know, I, I think that that may build up over time and start getting to them. And then they might reach out to back home or someone else. And, you know, and that's where I'm saying, and this is total speculation, but hey, Oscar, it's not your fault that you're not producing. It's X, Y, or Z's fault. And if you leave, you know, you're going to be back on the Moses Malone watch list or whatever the uh, big man player of the year is. So one thing that I, though, that I want to point out, and I don't know Oscar, I've never talked to the guy, but I've followed, you know, Oscar since he uh, announced he was going to play for West Virginia. And I also followed a kid from my high school named Matthew Hurt. Okay, now he's a Duke recruit. He's a sophomore. They both played in the McDonald's All-American game together. Now, if you looked at Matthew's year last year, he did not have a great year. In the offseason, he put on 20 pounds of, of, of weight, you know, lifting weights, working out incredibly hard because last year, I think, in his eyes was a disappointment. He comes out this year, and as of like a week ago, he was leading the ACC in scoring at 18.8 points per game. I mean, he is Duke's best player. Now, if you look at Oscar, who had a, a very successful freshman year, he has admitted that his last summer wasn't as productive as it could have been. So what I'm wondering is, did he take it easy this summer? Um, and so he didn't put in the work that some of the other players did. And now we're seeing the results of that on the basketball court. I don't know. I, I don't know what that answer is. But I do know that Oscar has said he did not work hard like he should have this summer. And I think, you know, what we're seeing on the court may be a result of that. Well, and I think Huggins, I mean, we heard Huggins kind of 
allude to that in some of his postgame and pressers and all of that kind of stuff. And But, Scoot, for you, I, I can remember last fall, fall of 2019, when we first started doing the show and we were talking about how excited we were to have this McDonald's All-American in the program playing for us. And then now we've we've lost this McDonald's All-American. Like, is that a big deal to you, that losing a guy who is, you know, that highly recruited and touted? Well, for I think locally and for the team, it's 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 a big deal regardless. But I feel like um, it's probably more of a big deal nationally because West Virginia is not known to get McDonald's All-Americans. So the fact that we had one and now he's gone, I don't know that it's going to be perceived nationally as – Oscar was struggling it might be perceived that Hugs pushed him away because Hugs is too gritty of a coach or something like that which I don't know that any of us feel is the narrative that really needs to be told I don't know I for me personally I think my interpretation is I would venture to guess that Oscar in high school was very successful and dominated almost every time he stepped on the floor so because he was such a good player as far as ability-wise. Some of the finer points of basketball instruction, coaches don't want to mess with a good thing while they've got it. So I don't know how how well he was coached, and I would venture to guess that Huggins and Eric Martin and Larry Harrison and Ron Everhart have really started to, to hammer – some of the finer points of playing basketball, especially when you're playing with another big, which I guarantee you Oscar didn't have to do in high school. So now Oscar's doing a lot of processing. And I think I saw that he was, you know, thinking before he actually did stuff instead of using muscle memory. I don't, I feel like there was a lot of processing happening, which led to a delay in getting a shot off or, you know, second guessing what he's doing and, he doesn't make the basket or he gets the ball stolen or, or doesn't get the rebound because he's too busy worried about where is he supposed to be. And I don't know, Brent, do you think that's anything? I don't know. Um, Oscar's a world-class athlete. Um, he, he can run and jump with almost anyone in the world. Um, I, I was talking to someone in the program and they were telling me about how fast Oscar ran down the court last year. Cause they have these trackers now on them that they wear for practice and games and how fast he ran on the court to, there was one play. I think it was one of the, the more memorable plays from last year. He ran down a loose ball where other people let it go. Cause they thought it was going out of bounds. He ran it down, got it and then dunked it. And I can't remember how fast it was, but it was eye opening how, how incredibly athletic and fast he is. So one thing that goes along with that, and, and it looks like Oscar didn't play from a really young age. That's, that's another thing that I, I can look at him and know like, okay, here's a great athlete, world-class athlete, you know, has a natural, has a knack for getting to the ball, almost like a Dennis Rodman. But he, he doesn't have probably the number of hours of drills that a lot of the other players do. So I, I, I Scott, I, I know what you're talking about as far as he gets the ball and he's trying to think instead of just, you know, leaning back and feeling a guy and being able to, you know, roll one way or the other off of him. He's got – he pulls the ball up to his chin. He thinks about what he's doing before he does it. We're seeing it now with Derek Culver where it's now becoming second instinct. Derek Culver's already spun. Oh, yeah. By the time – you know, by the time Oscar would still be thinking, which way should I spin? Yep. 
no, I, I agree with you. It's, I, I think he's thinking too much, and then you know it's possible. And like I said, this is all speculation. But you have a couple bad games, then you start overthinking it more than you were even before. So, do you think his mind was made up before that Northeastern game? Do you think he knew that he was leaving? Uh, probably. I, I'm, I'm thinking he probably had people in his ear before then. And one thing about this transfer, though, that's funny is if he had a lot of distractions in Morgantown. What does he think is going to happen in Miami? You want to talk about distractions central. Now, we went down there when we, we played Miami <laughs> when we were in the Big East, and we had an extra day. And I remember getting up one morning, and we had several hours before you know we had lunch or practice or shoot around, whatever we had that day. So all of us white guys went to the beach. All, all of the black, all of my black teammates, they all stayed in the hotel room and slept in, and all of us white guys went to the beach. Well, unfortunately, I was the only white guy that played significant minutes, and I got fried at the beach. So I'm out there playing like a lobster. <laughs> but I'm just saying, in Miami, there are so many other things you can do other than basketball. If him thinking, hey, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone and, and focus on getting better and, and an NBA career, I don't know if that's the best decision for him. Well, in that other skew, just to go back, because Branch, you're exactly right. And I think the other thing, too, before we just go past that, the, the other thing that Scoot said about um, the whole narrative around him transferring and maybe being run off, that sure came out on, um, you know, I'm usually on Twitter. I usually avoid Facebook. But wow, did you see that on Twitter, too? A lot of people going at the coaching staff saying here's yet another transfer where we had talent they came in now they're not here anymore and and they you know now that died down um as the miami stuff you know got discussion kind of came to light and became a discussion point but that that certainly was a, a separate theme so that's i mean that's raw for a lot of people and that is a bit of a you know, ongoing theme that we've had over the years. So that certainly came up. I was going to say, there's a lot of push with the Adidas stuff. You're seeing that on Twitter that Miami's an Adidas school. And as we know, you know, uh, these Adidas schools somehow yeah, that's right. are, you know, it, cash is going to different people. And so I mean, that's I why Scooty's wearing an Adidas shirt right that's now. Right. I mean, he got hey, the, he got, he's getting paid to wear it. I'm for sale. <laughs> Just letting you know, all day I dream about sports. It's kind of funny because, uh, and we'll talk about the games here in a second, but it's kind of funny. I think that, you know, for that Oklahoma game, we were kind of, everybody was on their heels about it, and that's all they talked about on the broadcast. And then I think that you saw in the Oklahoma State game, okay, this team can play without him. He's, you know, those rebounds will be made by somebody else. So I think that that's, to me, that's interesting that, you know, I think that I agree with you, Johnson. Like people are always like, oh, here, here's another top recruit that's getting, you know, pushed away from the program. But I also think that the program is successful when the right recruits are in the right position on the team. Yeah, sure. And I think Brent, too, I wanted to see what you thought because the going into OU, I think it was complicated not only by, hey, less than what, 48 hours ago, you had this major change to your team and lineup. Now you're retooling the lineup. But Oh, by the way, the other thing coming out of the Northeastern game heading into this road weekend was uh, Isaiah Cottrell goes down with a torn Achilles, which to me just kind of takes the wind out of you because 
we were all excited about him. I think he was gaining confidence. And then against, not that it's good against anyone, but in this Northeastern game, that's like a replacement, you know, you're, that's just going to be a blip on the overall radar. You have such a terrible injury outcome. So, you know, I think now not only is it, is it, is it, uh, is it Oscar? And maybe a lot of people speculated, maybe Isaiah starts to get some of those minutes, but now he's not even around. And it goes back to your one, you know, now DC's your one big carrying the load. Yeah, that's, uh, it's certainly both of those happening, Oscar leaving and, um, you know, the, the Achilles injury. Now we have what we have Gabe and we have Derek Culver and Gabe, you know, as much as I love him defensively, he's not, he's not, Oscar um he can still come out and give you good minutes and do some good things but he's not going to give you a double double you know every other night on the court so you know having those two now no longer playing the rest of the season hurts tremendously but hey I will say this though I'm after these last two games I'm I don't want to say pleasantly surprised I love how they didn't give up. They could have rolled over both games. And you saw a very, you know, everyone's trying to adjust to life without Culver in the in the first half of the OU game. But second half of that game, second half of the Oklahoma State game, there was a, a, a certain grit that we displayed. And that is really, really promising to me to see. And I, I like I like the team going forward after seeing that. Yeah, and Scoot, you and I have been talking, and I know people are going to roll their eyes. I, I thought this before, you know, kind of the – we're still on the high of this Oklahoma State second half, right? But even before that, even going into Oklahoma State, I, I know this sounds silly, but I almost liked the team better. Uh, I mean, I thought they, I thought they looked great. Yeah, first 15 minutes of the second half of the Oklahoma game, I felt we played the best – team basketball offensively and defensively than we've seen the whole season we had a lot of guys moving on offense uh they seem to be pretty determined um but don't you think spacing moving the ball you know getting people that extra pat like i know that first half against oklahoma was rough but then even then and i think jalen bridges emergence these last two games has been has been amazing and i just almost like us immediately i know that's silly to say that's not a knock like i didn't like oscar or something but i think as a team i already feel like i like us way better now the way we're playing well you move to that and you move to that kind of four guard you know rotation that we have now and you don't try to you don't try to be the big team in the paint and it and it it and I have to tell you it felt a little bit more in some ways especially in the second half of the Oklahoma State game like beeline ball like you saw the ball get moved around outside the arc a lot you saw you know you saw Deuce become an amazing leader on the team and he and he's so clutch and he it, we've seen it now multiple times with him but you saw him you know in the Oklahoma State game hitting those threes I kind of like that bat and like Scoot you would be the one that'd say this it's more exciting basketball like oh yeah and Brent I'm sorry far. Brent was a big man I'm sorry that that like Scoot that post up you know that post up inside rebound you know you know layup tip like that's not exciting basketball. You Scoot wants to see the ball move around in big threes, you know. But play hey, the inside the inside buckets are only two points. You know, you can get fifty <laughs> percent more shoot behind the arc. But Brent, I thought so back to your comment about people coming out of the woodwork on social media, I saw some of our finest on Twitter 
after the Oklahoma game saying and tweeting at Jalen, which is my which is my pet peeve right like don't tweet at these guys but we had people tweeting at Jalen Bridges saying well Jalen Bridges isn't the answer and I and it infuriated me because number one I was sitting there watching the Oklahoma game in the first half thinking if you're Jalen Bridges you know so this McDonald's All-American has left and they look down the bench to Jalen Bridges and they go oh hey guess what you're up you're filling the you're filling the void first of all from a just you know on paper from a lineup standpoint then all he does is come out and is the only reason we have a pulse through the first half of the OU game I think he finishes the Oklahoma game with like 19 points I could be wrong I'm trying to remember the box score mm, he no, shot right. excellent he he contributed to one of the best shooting nights even even though we lost one of the best shooting nights that we had and then he comes back in the Oklahoma State game too bad he got saddled with a third foul kind of early but he comes back with another great game against a really talented Oklahoma State game so I to me if if your answer from Oscar leaving is to then turn to Jalen Bridges after this these last two games, even after Oklahoma, and say, well, he's not the answer, then you you're just determined to be grumpy and unhappy, and you're not giving the guy a fair shake. He's playing lights out, and I think he's going to be great now for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about Jalen Bridges. You know, he's he's shown that he can shoot the outside shot. You know, and and I'm sure he's got some interior moves as well that we'll see. But Scott, I. <laughs> I'm right there with you on that. It's incredibly frustrating and disheartening to see how people can be when they um, can hide behind a keyboard. Um, and as much as I hate the term, the new norm, like, oh, this is the new norm. You know, we talk about 2020, that I think that social media and kids at a young age having to get some thick skin and just having to deal with that is going to be how they're all living going forward. They have to accept that though there's those kind of people out there that are just going to put you down no matter what. And I hope from a young age, they get some good coaching and good parenting where, Hey, just, you know, don't worry about that. That guy, it's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on the person making the comment. But I, I do think that we're going to see that going forward where, you know, 50% of the comments are poor 50% of the, the, Comments are you're the goat. You're either the goat or you're the, you're the worst yes. guy to ever the play for emoji, West Virginia. Get, yeah, you're either yeah, the goat exactly. or the poop emoji. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you're right. There's very little in between. It's yep. Now, Brent, I've got a question. This is what the and this is the analysis that our listeners want to hear from you. Okay. Oklahoma <laughs> has several players on their team who have made some very poor decisions with their haircuts. Thinking back to your time playing, and Scoot, may I just really quick before you? Sure, duck, go right and, ahead. And there, and that hair accentuates what I what I would submit are very punchable faces. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow! Thinking back to your time, is there a team that you remember playing where you thought, "Man, these guys not only are they a pain, but they look really stupid." No, I, I think in the mid '90s, you know, you're. 15 years away from the uh, 70s where we had that type of long hair. I I can't remember anyone, maybe a Jake Voskel maybe from UConn that had the headband and a little bit longer hair, but there wasn't too much craziness. There wasn't the tattoos you see now. There wasn't all the different hairstyles you see now. It was, it was way more clean cut back then. 
was it maybe like maybe shorts and things were a little on the you know like i think of like god sham god and, and players where they had super baggy shorts and things i i don't i'm trying to think of guys that might have looked ridiculous back in the day where i would have been like what is this clown doing like because i <laughs> i look at brady manic and i think what are you doing like what is going on with this look you're not larry bird i know you look like he larry like bird him. but you're not him and i'd like to hit you so like <laughs> what is going on now we when i played you know we're talking 94 to 98 uh, it was a couple years the people who really brought the uh, baggy pants on were the fab five they were the first ones that were ginormous shorts and of course you know being a ninth grader, 10th grader, when the Fab Five were on the scene, we all wanted baggy pants. So that was one thing you saw when I was playing. Even the Carl Kanai baggy jeans that uh, I remember people saying, I had a pair, and you could you could sneak two midgets into the club, <laughs> one holding onto each leg. And uh, um, but, but there wasn't any crazy hairstyles. It was those extraordinarily baggy pants. When we played basketball, we had those booty huggers that, like – I was constantly trying to pull down a little bit farther down without like letting the waist go below my my rear end. I was trying to find a way. A little too much thigh showing for you. Can I stretch that inseam somehow? (laughs) How can I make that happen? Oh, man. This is what happens when we let Scoot ask the questions. It goes straight to hair. (laughs) Well, this is this is what people want to know. I don't think the people want to know this. I do. I really don't. I think you want (laughs) you want to (laughs) know. So, not to throw away the Northeastern game, West Virginia did get a win there uh, against a fill-in team that uh, apparently uh, our connection to them was Ron Everhart used to coach there. So, maybe he knew somebody and made a phone call. Um, I think for me, the the fun part of that game, Scoot, was Laney Fateri doing the play-by-play for ESPN and uh, ESPN Plus or whatever it was on. I felt like I was going to hear an Andy Van Slyke goes deep comment at some point. Well, he must have thought that there was a doubt about it because he didn't say there's no doubt about it. So Yeah, right. I know that was all um, Lanny. But I think that, again, we and we had said this already, you know, Oscar had a good game there with, what, what 15 rebounds and 12 points. Uh, but moving on from there, we go to Oklahoma. We take our weekend away to the lovely Cornhusker State, and uh, we play – Oh, no, Cornhusker is Nebraska, right? Yeah. Oklahoma is yeah, the, the Sooner State. Prairie, yeah, what are, something with a prairie. The prairie dog, you somehow prairie state? Made the prairie it, dog. You somehow made prairie it more state. boring by bringing more Nebraska <laughs> is, in, into the Does picture. Oklahoma have prairie dogs? Lovely weekend in Oklahoma. We we all know we went to historic, uh, what did we call that, Scoot? Conestoga yeah, Wagon Wheel oh, Pavilion. Yeah, the historic Wagon Wheel Pavilion? Wagon Wheel Pavilion. So, uh, obviously, a f- rough first half. A strong second half. Um, so we f- we first see this where we were down by what nineteen at the half, eighteen at the half, uh, eighteen. And, yeah, I think. Yeah, and we come back to tie it up, but eventually lose to Oklahoma seventy five to seventy one. I think the one thing here to make sure we point out is we witnessed one of the most chicken bleep double technical fouls. I think I have ever witnessed in a game where uh, I'm just going to call him Keanu Reeves because I can't remember his first name. Just Austin runs across the floor. So I think maybe the one B punchable face to Brady Mannix, one a punchable face. If I had to rank them, he just runs across the floor like a stray toddler that got away from the sideline and he just 
runs into Dennis Culver on purpose. And then what do the refs do? They call a double technical on he and Culver. Culver goes to the side like what, you know, hugs just about tears the stool in half, you know, because he's livid. That to me, two things, and and then I'll shut up, Guido. But two, we knew how this game was gonna go when that happened, on the heels of uh, Emoja Gibson transfer from noted basketball power North Texas, banks in a three on his way to an eight three pointer, twenty eight point performance. I texted Scoot and I said. I've, I've read this book before. I know where this game's going. It doesn't matter what we do. This is going to be a loss. Well, and I think you're right. Like I go, So first of all, that was very grumpy old man of you. Uh, second, second of all, uh, it was another one of those games. I felt like it was in the first half, at least, it was another one of those games like Kansas where even if we were doing stuff right, we still couldn't get it put together you know if, if this time i felt like it was more official you know referees and officiating not to place blame but i i will say though that in the second half you saw this team come to life and brent like from your end like what changes in the locker room at halftime to make that kind of difference to come out and you know when you're down by 18 and to come out with that kind of attitude in the second half i would say coach hogs probably lit him up <laughs> that would that would be my guess. <laughs> no, but but I think I think on top of you know the uh, coach getting on everyone, there's some adjustments that are made at the half as well. You know, you might look at I know I know coaches look at the stat sheets, who's hot, who's not. Of course, they know that during the game, but you know the coaches are going to also have a little powwow without the players and hey, we need to do this or that or let's try something different. And so I, I think a little bit of a uh, you know, getting on them combined with some, you know, changes, coaching plan, you know, mixing up a little bit is is what would the difference would be. Now, let me ask you this, Brent. I know I noticed so Emoja Gibson scores uh career high, probably like he'll never come close to that career high again. And he hit eight three pointers. And I've noticed throughout the season it seems to be uh one of the the trends we seem to be struggling with is defending the perimeter and it, it to me it always seems like we're two passes behind or we're not rotating so is it is it the rotations or is it guys losing track of their assignments what do you think is causing a lot of these open threes so when we had two big guys like culver and oscar in the game at the same time if they have a, a four that can shoot or you know if they do some screen and rolls and all of a sudden one of our big guys is guarding a guard and, you know, they swing the ball around. We can't recover. That might be part of it. So I know we had a little bit smaller lineup against Oklahoma, but, um, you know, all of those guys playing together, maybe for the first time, uh, it, it, that that type of lineup. So I, I think we'll see an improvement on our uh, outside defense going forward with a smaller lineup. And I, th- I think we saw that in the Oklahoma State game. It did seem to tighten up a little bit around the perimeter. Um, but I think that that's probably been one of the Achilles heels for us this season so far is that guys are getting open on the perimeter and they're hitting shots that, I, I mean, I'm not the greatest shooter, but I might have a chance at hitting if I'm wide open. I mean, uh, <laughs> I can stroke it from outside. So – 
I don't know if if like you said, I'm hoping that that's a trend that we we can kind of correct with some quicker defense. I'll tell you, I mean, and I think uh, Guido will probably talk about them here in a second. But the emergence of Kedrian Johnson in the Oklahoma State game, who uh, coming into the season is noted for his defense because I think he was the National JUCO Defensive Player of the Year last year. So I mean, he's a defensive guy. Um, I'm hoping that maybe that tightens up some of that perimeter defense as well, seeing some well, more minutes I'll, out of him. I'll give you my quick take on it, Scoot, with the Kedrian Johnson thing, and you're not going to like it, which Kedrian Johnson in that Oklahoma State game just played Jordan McCabe another two positions down on the bench. Like One, 100%. I 100% like, agree. He just, I mean, like Jordan better pick up the phone and start dialing his transfer portal. Well, because, I think the minutes have to come from someplace, and that's where the minutes come from. I would guess. Well, and it's that, and it's that role, and having Kedrian out there really opened up. And we've been talking about this the past couple of shows. Opened up Deuce to kind of play more of a two guard here and there, and and work his way open in shots, and then the defensive side of it. I mean, I, I feel bad for Jordan McCabe, but. It's not it's not a good outcome for him if if Johnson can keep playing games like that. I think Johnson needs to I mean granted he's played all of what like 1.8 minutes it feels like of the season until this last game. Once he settles in offensively, can he be that point guard that gives Deuce the opportunity to just play a 2 and then we can rotate in a, a Taz at a 3 guard spot or you know um Matthews or Bridges or McNeil rotate them in because what I've noticed and this is again just me noticing I feel like defensively Sean McNeil has struggled some and and in turn that's probably not helped his standing with the coaching staff so that's forced them to try to figure out how can we get a better defensive group out there and in turn that causes him to not have the ability to kind of heat up and get going so I think the emergence of Kedrian Johnson is definitely a positive thing. Maybe not for Jordan. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm with you guys in the sense that I like Jordan McCabe. I've always felt that he could be that guy, but he's had opportunities to be that guy. and He's never seized him. So I don't know. We're at that point now where the guy's a junior almost halfway through his junior season. Might be time to move on. Well, and I think I think with Kedrian, though, honestly, in, in the moment of that second half uh, against Oklahoma State, I really felt like sincerely his his effort and tenacity and quickness and ability to guard and to get in people's faces and harass the ball, the, their, their ones and twos on the perimeter, did a lot to key that sequence and that run there was a key stretch of about five Oklahoma State turnovers that cut the lead to around six or eight, and I felt like he had such a huge part of that. So I think a bonus for Kedrian to to me, I mean, as a fan watching the game, is you look at his stat line, I think he ended with, like, so in addition to what we're noting down on the defensive side of the ball, I think he finishes with, like, nine points, five rebounds. I think he had, like, three assists. I mean, to me – I think I read and I, and I'll and I'll link to it in the show notes. But someone tweeted out earlier today that I think he had the best plus minus of anyone in the lineup from that game. That's saying a lot. Yeah, I I was impressed by him. You know, I wasn't real high on him early in the year. The first time I saw him, he got a rebound and went down and shot about an air ball, <laughs> missed missed the hoop by about five feet. And I was like, man, that's that's going to be a one way ticket back to the bench with hugs. And uh, 
you know, I was super impressed by him this last game. And I, Guido, I had the exact same thought. I'm like, man, Jordan McCabe went from, you know, eighth man to, you know, ninth or 10th at this point, which is sad. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Jordan McCabe fan too. You know, I've had two interactions with him where I've talked to him, super personal, really nice guy. You know, you want someone like that to be successful, but you got to perform when you're on the court, nice guy or not. Kedrian Johnson kind of reminds me of maybe maybe not offensively the same, but energy wise, he kind of reminds me of a Tariq Phillip a little bit. Okay, kind of defensively, kind of in your grill, quick like uh, Tariq is. I don't know. Do you think that's a decent comparison? I think that's totally fair. Um, I I expect him to come in, and you know when he gets subbed into the game, the opposing team being, Oh great. You know, now I got this guy who's going to be up all, all up on me, not really worried about hitting threes, but his job's to come in, shut down the other point guard. And you know, it's, we're going to see more minutes from him for sure. Well, and Brent, I have to think as soon as hugs sees that effort, sees the defense, sees him getting up in people's grill, locking people down, making them pass the ball. That's got a, I, I just, I have a, feeling if you're hugs that's that's exactly what you're looking for you've got his attention you know he's, didn't he he's, take a charge yeah he took a key he charge yeah, yeah, yeah. Charge, i think he, a big i charge. think he took the charge that ended up being uh kate cunningham's fifth foul so yeah 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 so and then i you know this the, this team in the second half and, and i i know it doesn't show in the stats line but gabe osaboyan again is garden probably what's probably the at least maybe not the best player in the Big 12, but at least the most highly touted player right now in the Big 12 with Cade Cunningham. I mean, you have a guy like, you know, and Johnson and I watched Gabe play a couple of times last year, and and Gabe's a great defender, but, man, that's tough for him. That's a tough role to throw on to him, you know, in that game. Uh, and, it, and I think that what we'll see with this team moving forward, or I hope that we see with this team moving forward, is that, defense starts to become a little bit more of an important role. And we see those key players now with Kedrian Johnson, with Gabe Osaboyan, be able to start coming in and taking taking some of that. I, I will say, and I wanted to talk about it, this might have been, I mean, we've I've seen a lot of WVU basketball. Brent, you know, all of us have watched a lot of WVU basketball. That was one of the better games I've seen in a long time last night. I mean, down with 11 minutes left to go in the game, down by 19 that's the biggest comeback we've had in years. Hey, it was fun to watch. I, you know, everyone else in my house was uh, asleep at that point. Those nine o'clock games are tough to stay up for, oh. but man, I'm glad that I stayed up. And and that was so exciting to just see us chip away, chip away. And and the the word that I used earlier, grit, man. We just showed a ton of grit by not uh, not folding. You know, it's easy for a team to just fold. Hey, there's ten minutes left. We're down nineteen. This game's over. You know, and we did not do that. And and Hugs is the kind of coach that won't allow that to happen. So, yeah, like like I said, the Oklahoma game, second half of the Oklahoma game, Oklahoma State game. I'm excited, you know, going forward, even with the loss of Oscar. Well, and don't you think? And I feel like this gets glossed over more because of Derek Culver and the way he plays, and you just get used to him doing these kind of things. He goes for 22 and 19 against Oklahoma State, which is crazy to me. I think John Antonick pointed out today that that's only happened like maybe seven other times in the history of WVU basketball. That's kind of crazy. Um, or I, I may have that wrong. I'll, I'll link to it. I in think the it show was like notes. seven times in the last, like since 1960. Is that or what it was? Okay. Yeah. 
it was a rare, a rare feed. But one of the things I loved, Brent, and I wanted to get your take on it. There was a period, there was a few minutes, probably somewhere between six minutes and like three minutes to go in the game. Cade Cunningham, and I think Mike Boynton was really asking him, you know, to kind of take the ball, take it over, hit some shots. Derek Culver went right back at him. I mean, like, there was a baseline dunk. He shook the rim. Cade Cunningham came back down, uh, made a jumper. Derek went back down, pulled up from, like, the elbow, made a jumper. I mean, like, DC went right back at him, and I, I loved that. I was yelling from the couch, like, stick it to this dude, man. Like, you could tell, you know, Cade Cunningham is trying to come out Hey, this is what we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to assert ourselves. We're going to take over the game. Culver wasn't letting it, letting it happen. I kind of think put that to a stalemate and then like helped everyone else continue to rally around it. He wasn't going to let it be a one man show for Oklahoma state. I lo- I personally loved that. And I think it gets lost in the shuffle of some of the other stuff, but I, I that stood out to me down the stretch. Yeah. So Cunningham's a much more polished player than Culver, but Culver is a man. Cunningham is still a—I don't want to say a child, but he, he's, he's a he, young he's, pup. Yeah, he's six eight, two twenty, and I mean the announcer said that fifteen hundred times during the game. <laughs> um, but uh, Culver is just a man. He's been a man since the sec, or second he stepped on campus. He's just big, he's strong, and he plays super physical. So you know, yeah, someone might be able to pull up and you know maybe get maybe get a bucket or two on him. But he is not afraid to you know go right back at him body to body, uh, make that contact and, and get the bucket as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm with Johnson. That was super fun to see that series where he was just, you know, the, our go-to guy and he delivered multiple times in a row. Well, I was going to say for me, the dunk out of the two where he basically ripped the rim off the freaking glass. Yes. That was the turning yes. point of the game. I think for me, No, yeah. absolutely. I agree because yeah, we were still down at that yes. point, but that was like, okay, Derek Culver's not taking any more crap. He's he's yes. ready to play. He's a man. And and the funny thing about Culver, he was in the doghouse big time when he came here. And, uh, you know, now he's, you know, he's shown that he can get coached up. He's, he's, he's improved um, and he's listening to coach and trying to get better. And that's, that's one thing I'm not so sure Oscar was doing that. You know, Oscar came in, oh, I'm, I'm the best. I don't want to say that he thought he was the best, but, you know, we're seeing the difference between Culver being able to be coached up and maybe other players not. Well, and I think if you're in a McDonald's All-American, you, you're going to come into the program with a chip on your shoulder. And I think Oscar did, and then I think he had that he had that chip on his shoulder this year, and Derek's just been playing better than him all, all year. And I think that probably was tough for him to swallow. So. I agree and I, 100%. You know, I, and I look at this, I look at this now, this team now, and I feel like it's going to change the narrative of this team a lot, uh, especially this, the next two games, which are you're playing the number two and the number four teams in the nation back to back. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like don't don't pat your don't pat yourself on the back. You've got Texas uh, who just housed Kansas and what Baylor's yep. number two, Baylor's number two, and I think it puts you know. It, it changes the narrative nationally with this team of being, oh, this is the big man team. Look at all these big men, you know, and it starts to talk about these, you know, little young bucks that are going to come out and make these shots and you get the Kedrian Johnsons have a big game and the Jalen Bridges have a big game and you don't know who might be out and have, you know, maybe Spencer Mackey comes off the bench and throws up 25. Who knows? But... <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe not. But I mean, you don't know. I think that's the the narrative that the team is changing is that it's 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 not just Oscar and Derek. It's you know, and Deuce. It's going to be all of these names now. How are you guys feeling about looking down the barrel here, playing uh, Texas on Saturday and then Baylor on Tuesday? Well, I think for me, and then I'll shut up and and because I'm interested really to get Brent's take too. But even you know, like I said, we're still kind of on the high of this recency bias of the Oklahoma State second half, but the whole game and and sort of in the Oklahoma game too. And I think maybe that's why I got so excited about Kedry and Johnson. But I kept watching the game saying, man, where is the defense? You know, you give first half against Oklahoma State, you give up 45 points. Brent, that's a lot of points in a half for us, for us. And and you give up even though, you know, we win. We win because, hey, guess what? We scored 52 points in that second half. That's insane to me. We still gave up 39. That's a pretty big chunk. So, to me, overall, you give up 84 points against uh, against Oklahoma State in that game. 75 against Oklahoma. That's a little bit, you know, what I would call normal. But he, even so, I think if you ask Hugs right now, uh, he doesn't feel like we're playing defense where it needs to be. And I think when you look ahead to teams that can score the ball, like Texas and Baylor, these next two games, it's not going to get any. It's not going to get any easier. And I'd love to think that we're going to continue to, you know spread the floor, make the passes like we're talking about, hit the shots. But, I, you know, if I had if I had something that I wanted to, to just hit on right now that I was worried about, it would be what feels like uh, defense – I don't know if it's effort or whatever you want to call it, but defense that doesn't feel like it's up to our standard of what we've come to expect. My issue is – and this was my issue before, and I think if you remember in one of the previous shows I was ticked off that we we – scored the ball so well against Richmond because what it does is it sets up uh, fans and social media for any kind of blip where we're not playing lights out basketball, that the sky is falling. This team is garbage. What I, what I find frustrating for me being that I've, I've lived here in West Virginia now for 20 years. Um, I've been a fan of the team for probably, I'm going to say 18 of those years got my master's degree from there. So I'm still a little bit, I'll, I'll probably always be seen as an outsider, but what's frustrating to me as a know fan, what you were doing those first two years. What, uh, I went to Wesley and I was, like, I was not... still, I was still learning about the state. I, I wasn't sure what was going on yet. <laughs> um, I didn't even know what a pepperoni roll was at that point. So I was still trying to figure <clears> things out. So my, my frustration is when it comes to the football team, and we've got a coach, and I'm not trying to disrespect the coaching staff or the program, but we're supposed to trust the climb when we have a 500 season. Yet we've got the, what is he, sixth all-time winningest coach? And if we struggle in the first half against uh, a non-ranked <laughs> team, the sky's falling. The guy can't coach. This is the worst pro. I guess we're just a football school. Uh, I told you, Oscar, he drove Oscar out, and we're not that good. Coaching staff needs to change. This is a football school. We're not a basketball school. Why do we even like basketball? This is why we can't have nice things. So that's the message that comes out on social media. But we're supposed to trust the climb when we go 5-5 five and five and we're rotating quarterbacks in a bowl game. 
but god forbid <laughs> i i love i love that i actually love that you're so on so on neil brown's hill i'm i'm just come on man just come on troops we're on up the hill hugs is over here on his hill everyone's at base camp yeah they won't even start the climb they're just like like I, and so i'm starting instead of hashtag trust the climb i'm hashtag hug it out hug it out hug it out you know hugs it out hugs it out you gotta put s in there i hugs like it, it. Hugs it out. Hey, any, anyone who says Huggins needs to go and he doesn't know how to coach, they they obviously don't know basketball or they're just, you know, going to be unhappy with anyone. And and for for everyone who said, oh, Hugs ran him out, I sat two rows behind Duke last year against Virginia Tech down in Blacksburg. And uh, I'll tell you what, Coach K coaches harder than anyone I've ever seen. He almost broke his uh, clipboard a couple times, screaming on those guys. And my son was right next to me, and I was like, hey, listen, that's that's how you get talked to when you play big-time basketball. I mean, Coach K was lighting into those McDonald's All-Americans. You know, his bench is littered with them. He was screaming on all of them. I thought he was going to have a heart attack or a stroke or something. <laughs> but uh, – yeah, Hugs, Hugs is not, you know, yeah, he comes across as a grumpy coach, but there's more coaches like him than not like him. Um, and, you know, Oscar's leaving. He's going down to, you know, Laranaga coaches Miami. And I actually love, I love Laranaga. I actually took one of my official visits to Bowling Green specifically because of the coaching staff. Jim Laranaga was the head coach 20, uh, 26 years ago. Super, super nice guy. I loved his whole staff. Um, I, will will he coach like that? I, I don't know. He's a great recruiter. Super nice guy. I don't know if that's his coaching style or not, but he has been successful at a bunch of smaller schools like Bowling Green, like George Mason. So it'll be interesting to see that dynamic of, you know, how much does he coach Oscar up or is he going to just kind of sit back and let Oscar do his thing and and not be – you know, not have all these high expectations and, and push Oscar to be the best he can be. But yeah, for all these clowns out there that are down on hugs, they, they must have not been around years ago. Because right now, if we don't make it to the Sweet 16, it's a disappointment. Right. When I played in 98, we made it to the Sweet 16 for the first time in literally like 35 years. So the fans the fans quickly forget how, how good we have it now with hugs. Anybody who's trying to say get rid of hugs or get rid of this coaching staff is ridiculous. I mean, he's 300 wins. This is, you know, Oklahoma State was his 300th win while at WVU. He's, you know, gonna he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's going to be one of the greatest coaches of W, if not the greatest coach in WVU history. Uh, it's crazy. We do get to see Texas come in with Shaka Smart's team. Texas 8-1. and one. With hair now. Shaka has hair now. Shaka has hair now, apparently. Um Texas is eight and one with two wins in the Big Twelve over Oklahoma State and Kansas uh, right now, and they come in. They play Saturday at one p.m. That game is on ESPN, and uh, check it out. One other non-West Virginia NCAA thing I want to talk about, guys. Basketball thing came out this week that the NCAA tournament has officially decided that they are playing all of March Madness in the state of Indiana. Pretty interesting sort of way they're going to take it, sort of like a bubble. You know, I won't say that Scoot uh, can predict the future, but Scoot kind of predicted the future when he said they were going to, you know, put these guys in a bubble, and they're, it looks like they're going to do the tournament in the bubble this year. He did, and I and I was hoping this meant that some of the games would be played at Hinkle Fieldhouse where they filmed Hoosiers. 
I wanted to see Hugs walking out on the court, measuring ten feet up with the with the measuring tape, and looking at his guys and saying, "See Spencer Mackey, ten <laughs> foot. Like, don't get all, don't get it all in your head. It's ten feet. Let's go play some basketball." Listen, Hugs channeled his his Norman Dale this past week when he said he wanted to talk about the players he has on the team and not the ones that aren't. On <laughs> That's the team. right. He did do. You're exactly right. <laughs> right. He doesn't care about Jimmy Chipwood. He did. He, he doesn't did. care about Chipwood. Brent, as somebody who has played in the NCAA March Madness and gone to all of these, you know, been able to travel and go and play one weekend in this site, one weekend at that site, how much do you think it changes the tournament this year, thinking that they're all going to be within 30 miles of each other? So Indianapolis, I went there when we uh, when we played in the um, Final Four in 2010, and it's a great location. Um, I had I had such a fun fun weekend there. So a couple of things though. I'm wondering if they're gonna if they're gonna have that same type of schedule where hey you're playing one week and then you get you get a week off you know I, I can imagine guys going stir crazy in a hotel room for a full week so I, I'm wondering if, if they're gonna try to compress that a little bit or what they're gonna do you know we we were supposed to fly when we played we played two games in uh, in Idaho we played Temple and then uh, Cincinnati we were supposed to fly back go to a couple of days of class then fly out to California. And coach said, forget that. We're going straight down to Anaheim. We're not going to be going back and forth all across the country. And uh, some of us actually snuck out. Well, we didn't sneak out, but we, we went to we went to Disneyland, which would be like the worst place you could imagine for probably COVID standing all those lines. So I, I don't know how they're going to, uh, you know, force everyone to not, you know, go out and do different things and just expect a 20-year-old to stay in a hotel the whole time it, it, it'll certainly be interesting to see how it all plays out well and it's going to be interesting too because you're used to these like you said being played in these big venues where you know you're in madison square garden and you're in these huge events i mean so here's here are the locations and johnson you're going to be excited when i say this so they're playing at the banker's life field house which is the indiana pace where the pacers play but they are playing at hinkle field house sweet uh so they're playing there they're playing at the farmer's coliseum um they're playing at Mackey Arena, where Purdue plays. They're playing at Assembly Hall. So games will be in all these collegiate venues that where you don't, you know, you're used to playing in these these bigger arenas. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all susses out. And I, I and I'll, I'm with you, Brennan. It'll be interesting to see how they do with uh, the schedule of it. It hasn't come out yet. They're still working on that. So I, I I don't know as much about this as I probably should. But what was the reason for that? Was it just to get rid of the flights and the uh, airports and, you know, just try to minimize that type of contact? Or what was the reason for that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's 100% that, just, you know, minimizing the contact and the amount of places that, you know, you've got players going from, you know, playing in Buffalo, then playing in, you know, you know Washington, D.C. or New York City or wherever and traveling to all these places. I think it's just to kind of keep it all within, you know, these six or seven locations all within 30 minutes. I wonder, time. and we'll get to this uh, once we get closer to it, but I wonder, will we, so you find out selection Sunday that you are, you know, whatever seed team, do you just get on the bus right there and then, or the plane right there and then and go so that you can kind of quarantine in hopes that you can kind of, I don't mean, I don't even know. I don't know what the time turnaround time will be because I imagine you're going to want to get in that bubble as soon as you possibly can to alleviate any other possible, you know, interactions. I well, 
And they and again they haven't set a schedule yet. I wonder if they're going to have downtime between whatever, like whenever the Big Twelve championship is, and instead of it being the next weekend or whatever, three days later. Sometimes, uh, I think I wonder if it'll be one of those situations where there's a week and a half or two weeks in between playing the tournament. And I would venture to guess TBS, ESPN, all of those stations, channels, networks. So they're going to have. Probably the ultimate say as to who plays when, when they play. Well, Scoot, this is a this. I want to say March Madness is like a billion dollar tournament. Oh, yeah. So it's it's one thing to have, you know, a, a game canceled on uh, right. December twenty eighth, but it's it's a whole other thing if you get down to the final four and one of those four teams all of a sudden has a couple positive yeah. tests. I mean, you are talking about a ton of money, and I I know. I know player safety, coach safety is is the most important thing, but money is going to talk and kids are going to be in their hotel rooms, you know, when it comes to that kind of money being thrown out there. Just like the NBA, those guys were like, hey, if you want to make these millions of dollars, we need you doing the right thing. And, And almost all of them did. And we've talked about it before. It's it's a nine hundred and eighty billion dollar you know scenario for the NCAA. It it's most of the operating costs for NCAA for the years. I mean, I think I think Brent, you were on the show last time. I said this. I, I'm not sure the NCAA can survive as an entity if they don't have March Madness for another year. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine they're not going to figure out a way to make it and do it and safe and make their money with the TV channels. You know. Yeah, it, it's not just the college basketball either. This this. This tournament play, pays for a lot of other sports, a lot of other women's sports. So it's it's D three, D two, yeah, right. So it'll be interesting. We'll follow it as the season goes on. Well, Brett, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it. We'll have you back on here sooner than later. I hope. I hope you're you're willing to come back. <laughs> Anytime, guys. It's it's always a pleasure. And uh, thanks for all you listeners for hanging on. This is the super long show this week. I know it's it's crazy long, but we've got uh, more to talk about. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about a WVU football bowl win. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Got Your Ears On. Vortech Knives is a West Virginia-owned and operated company specializing in high-quality steel, fast-opening, everyday carrying knives. If you go to VortechKnives.com today and use the code G-Y-E-O, you get a 25% discount on your entire order. That's Vortech, V-O-R-T-E-K, Knives.com, a West Virginia-owned and operated company specializing in fast-opening, high-quality, everyday carry knives. Vortech Knives. All right, everybody, welcome back to Got Your Ears On. Don't forget, look for us on the social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Got Your Ears. You can also look for us on Facebook, Got Your Ears On. Well, guys, I told everybody it was going to be a long show. It's going to be a long show. That was a fun segment with Brent, as always, talking a lot. And we had a lot of, we had a lot to unpack with basketball. Yeah, we did. But uh, we have a lot to unpack with football, too. Uh, West Virginia goes to the AutoZone Liberty Bowl down in Memphis and comes out a winner, surprising winner, I think, to a lot of people over Army. Uh, I I will start with sort of the uh, – I want to start with what we're going to talk about the most, but I'm going to start with what I think is most important to talk about, which is to talk about the great play and how awesome Darius Stills was in that game 
and the Stills brothers. And just to just to talk about the fact that he put on the line, and, and I hadn't thought about this until I watched the game, and I think one of the announcers said this, Darius Stills put maybe millions of dollars on the line to play that game, that football game uh, against Army. And I think he will go down in West Virginia history maybe as, you know, he'll be one of those Mountaineers we talk about forever, I guess. I'll say that, you know, because of something like that. Like that, for me, and I, I, as, a, as a Mountaineer football fan, like that's, that's what we want. We want those guys that will stay and play in that bowl game. Well, and honestly, I so I remember the comment, too, from the commentator, Guido, and I think it was specifically in regard to – the unmistakable way that Army plays their offense, you've got a lot of diving at your legs, diving at your knees, low blocking. Squatting like you have to take a dump if you're the quarterback. Squatting like you're on a toilet. Um, it And it specifically was, you know, to say, hey, uh, you know, maybe, I think the person even said maybe uh, Darius, you know, he's got to make some business decisions here. He's got to make sure you know, at the end of the day, he's not putting anything in jeopardy. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, he, as if we didn't love him enough (laughs) to me, it was like, I love this dude even more because he's like, screw it. I'm coming out here. I'm making a statement. I'm helping this team win this game come hell or high water. And then seeing him, I know we're going to get there, but sitting on the turf after the game, kind of soaking it in. I don't want to leave yet. You can't help, but just, like the guy root for the guy and i can't imagine what it was like knowing that you know more than likely this is the last football game you'll ever play with your brother you've played with him for whatever it is now eight ten plus years you know all the way back to i'm sure pop warner or whatever and and now you know this is probably the last game that they'll be on the same team playing um so you know it was definitely tough and and no shade to Tony Fields. Like I totally get it, and for him, it was a it's a great business decision. And and I have to be honest with you, in a lot of ways, if it were my son, or you know, if it were me, I probably would have made the Tony Fields decision. Um, you know, Tony Fields came in, only played one season at WVU, and uh, I think that you know, and right now Tony Fields has a pretty high draft stock. He's been going in the late second, early third round, in a lot of mock drafts out there in the NFL. Um, I think that for somebody like Darius, who is just a so West Virginian, it's so, you know, it's such a homer from Fairmont, played for the Polar Bears, now went on, you know, and played his whole career. His dad played there, played there with his brother. It was just such a good feeling. And not only that, I'm so glad that Austin Kendall was able to come in and give the win to him at the end of the game. Well, and look, before we leave Darius real quick, I mean, we needed every bit of him too. Yeah, no, he played uh, you know, that he played that great. offense that that Army's running with the triple option and the odd, you know, is it the first guy through, is it the quarterback, are they pitching it out wide? I mean, we needed such a stout effort at the off I mean at the defensive line at the line of scrimmage that we we needed him too. So, I think had he decided to sit at some point during the game or not play the second half or something, then I think it's a totally different outcome for sure. Well, and what he might have done is instead of costing himself millions of dollars, he might have made himself millions of dollars by playing that game, being on three different tackles, you know, getting some more highlights in a bowl game against a team that has looked di- that looks different than most of the other teams that West Virginia has played this year. So, you know, kudos to him. But let's change the subject and let's talk about everybody's new favorite quarterback for WVU. Austin Kendall comes in, uh, wins who like 
We haven't talked about Austin Kendall hardly at all this season because he's been holding a clipboard, and now he comes in and I, I'm I'm going to say it, guys. He's the MVP. I mean, I know that T.J. Simmons won the MVP, but he should have won the MVP. He won the game for him. Come on. Uh, I mean, yes, he was there. He won the game. He was the quarterback that uh, was behind the center during the change of score. Um, I still saw some vintage uh, passes from from Austin that uh, reminded me as to why he might have been holding the clipboard uh, for most of the season. I mean, yes, I'm not. I'm not going to take it away from him. I am very pleased that he stayed the course, stepped up when his name was called, and I mean, he very easily could have gone, you know, three games into the season and said, "Screw this!" I, I don't even. I, I think he had already graduated. To be honest with you, he probably could have just said, "I'm done. I, this is not worth my time." Because I mean. Playing college sports is a grind. It's not like you just show up to practice after your classes are done. It's, you know, 6 a.m. or earlier, Yeah, your day starts with all kinds of no. stuff. Yeah, totally. I think here's the interesting thing for me and the whole, and the whole part of it. And I this might make you happy, Scooty, but Johnson, like, we had Jared Dagey, who we knew was a junior, who I think a lot of us maybe – happily or not happily have is has accepted as the WVU quarterback for at least this season and most likely next season because of his, you know, status in school. Now Jared Dagey gets benched, you know, two thirds of the way through this game after going 15 for 25, throwing 150, 160 yards, having an interception, uh, getting sacked twice, like, Making the most horrific fumble I've ever that seen. That was a terrible fumble. Like, just a horrific a game when literally it was the worst case scenario for him to do that. And if anybody should be happy Austin Kendall came in and won that game, it should be D- Jared Dagey because that's all people would be talking about if Austin Kendall hadn't come back. That fumble, you know, put us down by what? A touchdown at that point or whatever it was. Uh, you know, uh, I-, I guess my question is for you guys. So now Austin Kendall ha- is not coming back to the program, which we I think we already knew that, uh, but has apparently entered the transfer yeah, portal. Yeah, he's for officially a, entered the transfer portal. will be a 35-year-old quarterback somewhere next year. Uh, probably at, like, Ball State or Bowling Green. But what does this do with Jared Dagey now? Jared Dagey gets benched in a bowl game. How do you come back in the spring game and in the fall practices and become – the starting quarterback. Again. Well, isn't it isn't it interesting, Scoot? That because I, I already know what you're going to say, but just for a minute, humor me. Is isn't it interesting that pre the Iowa State game, Guido and I and most people I think had resigned ourselves to the fact that yes, this isn't exciting. <laughs> yes, he's not setting the world on fire, but he's managing games. He's not turning the ball over. When it's good, his it's, stats it's, weren't bad. It's good enough. Yeah, you know, like. And then you had the Iowa State debacle. And then, as much as I don't want to hammer on him, probably the worst half of Jarrett Dagey football I've ever seen in that bowl game to the point where I I have to think that I think in his worst uh, potential outcome thoughts, Neil Brown never thought he'd have to be pulling Jarrett Dagey at halftime. But I think after two quarters of just some – 
what is he doing thinking he had to get out of there and at least give someone else a chance to give us a chance to win. I guess my point is, isn't it interesting that we went from, well, it's, it's not exciting. It's not the best, but we're resigned to the fact that that's our best option to now. I feel like Jared Daigie's almost played his way out of the start. Like now you, to your point, Guido, I think you come back to camp in the spring and it's, it feels wide open now. Like, you know, it doesn't feel like he's hooked it. Um, to his hip or anything like he's he's actually played it into now a wide open race if someone else can can compete for i it. i personally have said this all season long i think if we check the guido can you go back and check the audio um i'll go back and check i've said for a long time even in the first half of the season where statistically i kept saying yes i get it statistically he's not bad his completion rate is good He's got, you know, he had, I think he had a couple of 300-yard passing games. He didn't have very many interceptions. But he, to me, and again, I am not a, I don't know that I would call myself a trained observer, but he was not passing the eye test. It felt like when we had 300-yard passing games by Jarrett Deggy, to me it felt like many of those passes were 15 yards or less as far as the ball traveling in the air and a lot of it was Bryce Ford Wheaton or uh, Winston Wright or uh, Esdale doing right. a lot of the work Absolutely. to get some of those yards that you know obviously get credited to the quarterback. And here's the thing I'll say, though. Before we throw Jared Dagey or even Austin Kendall, for that fact, too far under the bus, we also have to talk about it's unacceptable and something needs to happen if it's in the wide receivers position coach or if it's in the offensive co- coaching staff somewhere. The amount of dropped passes is is ridiculous. And it's not a stat that is easy to find uh, out there in the in the internet world. I'm sure it's out there. But I felt like we dropped 20 plus passes. Yeah, it definitely at, reared against its head Army. again from, from you know, I was hoping we were over that hump, but early in that game it felt like an I mean, some game. could argue as a wide receiver, you should be ready for the ball early because Jarrett's not going to throw it very far. And some could argue that hey, you know, I don't have to run as far. Let me take my, you know, 5-yard route, take a take a hard right turn or a hard left turn and be ready to catch the ball. Well, where I get on Scoot's bandwagon, and I hate to do it, where where I get, agree with Scoot is, is that everybody talks about the drop passes and talks about how they're a problem, but how much of those drop passes are a quarterback problem and not a wide receiver problem? And so is is this problem that has been there? And, because, and the difference is, is it's – the weird thing about West Virginia this year, West Virginia football this year, is it hasn't just been one wide receiver that's had drop passing issues. It's been – the vast majority of them that have had so you're saying drop maybe yeah. the routes are good the balls are not the ball is not right yeah i am going to be very curious as to what happens next year with the quarterback uh role and i'm going to give you guys a throwback here i think it is going to be reminiscent of 2005 wvu football season where we started off, who was the starting quarterback at the beginning of 2005? Adam Bednarik. Adam Bednarik. And I think it was either the third or fourth. I think they played like Wofford or somebody weird in there. And and that's – I can't remember who it was. And that's when we saw Pat White. And then it was just Pat White for the till the end of time. Yeah, we played we, – we beat Cincinnati in like the most boring score ever. 
Then we went into the Louisville game. Adam got hurt, and the rest is history. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, and I don't know this. Maybe you can tell me, Guido or Johnson. Uh, Garrett Green seems to not be super tall. Would that be a fair statement? I don't know if he's is he six foot or is he under six foot. I think I think uh, I think he is at or close. I think they they might put him at six foot, but I think he's probably closer to that five that five ten. And then Goose is what six two six three maybe. Yeah, Goose is tall. From what I've heard, yes, a little bit taller. So for me, and I don't know why this matters to me. I guess it does a little bit. I I'd, I'd like the quarterback to be probably more like Goose's height because I right. think Goose will end up being taller than Daggy and Garrett Green. But the quarterback, one, needs to be able to throw the ball some distance for me, and two, understand that he has two legs and they work. Right. And, like, Letty Brown Letty Brown is a miracle worker yeah. for the fact that nobody in America, I don't know that there's anybody maybe worldwide, that at any point ever thought that that uh, play-action pass or yeah, that that draw play right. or that rpo was gonna go with jerry <laughs> anywhere, anywhere. Letty, right yeah like i mean i don't know i've seen gargoyles move more than <laughs> than jared daigie did so like i it's amazing to me and it's i guess a testament to the offensive line that they were able to hold blocks as long you know I, there's a lot of things where i'm sure teams keyed in listen daigie never runs the ball he may show this, but it's a run. He may yeah, show that, it's go. a run. So that makes it tough. Well, I think on, for like this game, though, I'm not going to lie. So after that disastrous fumble we talked about that that eventually led to Deggy being yanked, you know, you guys remember Army comes out to start the second half. They go up 21-10. to 10. Guido, I thought this game was over. So the fact that, you know, because of the style of play that Army plays, it's, you know, they're a tough watch, right? I mean, that that's a boring brand of football. It's chewing up clock. You feel like, you know, it starts to put so much pressure on every possession because you're just simply not sure you're going to get the ball back. For me, uh, as much as, you know, whatever you think about Austin Kendall, I thought it was pretty miraculous that he comes in, he sparks two touchdowns, you know, we get the two-point conversion and go up by a field goal. And in a half that felt, you know, that 11-point lead that Army had almost felt insurmountable at the time. So, you yeah. know, I, I thought good for him. Not only is he has he stuck around, but he comes in and he kind of answers the call when he's asked. Um, you know, there was a, a really awesome onside kick uh, that I thought, you know, was a was a cool twist. Caught them by surprise, uh, Guido. I thought the someone someone made a gif of uh, of Nick Troy Fortune um, jumping up and down with his arms in the air. That like he was just like a kid on Christmas morning, jumping up and down, waving his arms in the air after they thought they got that recovery. That was uh, that was a cool turn of events. It certainly led to uh, a pretty awesome second half for that game. Well, this is one thing I'm gonna say, and I know. We talk a lot about trusting a climb, and Scoot talks about being at base camp and all that. I'll tell you one thing about a Neil Brown program that I think that I don't know if we've – we definitely haven't seen over the last 10 years in the program, which is the fact that even when we were down, when we were when we were down uh, and Austin Kendall's coming in the game, though, some of those players, some of those guys we've talked to, you know, Rucker, who's been on our show, 
uh, Evan Matthias, who's the backup to the backup punter or whatever. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. He's the backup punter, I think. Uh, you know, those guys on the sidelines pumping up the team, the juice squad, juice as they squad, call it. Yeah. And you see those guys, you see that energy and, and that, you know, even when they were down, those guys, what, what Neil Brown has those non-role players do and make, you know, those guys who maybe only run a special teams play every now and then out there and doing those kind of things to pump up the, 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 the players on the field is amazing. And I'm, that's where I trust the climb scoot is I still believe in this program. Neil Brown is now what he's 11 and 11, I think total why he's at West Virginia. Uh, you know, he's, um, he's won four bowl games, just only one for us. Now he's undefeated in bowl games four and I like the guy. I like the team. I like the program. I like the direction. I, I hope that, you know, I still believe that this next year, 2021 football is t- truly his year one because we're starting to get your own recruits. You don't have COVID. Hopefully you have less COVID crazy. You have to deal with, with canceled games and practice schedules and all of that. And so you start to see this team build and, you know, I mean, and we saw it already with his name being, you know, tossed around for the Auburn head coaching position, which I didn't think was going to come to fruition, but his name got thrown in, you know, thrown out there. And he said in another coaching position too. And he said last week or the other week, I'm happy here. I'm happy. My family's happy here. I'm not going anywhere. Um, so I, I think I that's will the- start trusting the climb when maybe I see something. I don't, to me, I'm not a believer in what I was seeing offensively. I wasn't – I mean, it it was too predictable, and it makes it easy to defend. And and I I think, you know, we, we lacked a lot of big play opportunities. And I to me, I don't know. I just want to see – I want to see substantial growth, I guess. Minimal growth doesn't doesn't excite me and it doesn't keep me i guess i and here's my problem scoot and like this is where i'm i'm just this is our first bowl win in what since 2016 citrus bowl Uh, 2016 citrus bowl yeah now yes but let's talk by halftime i would venture to guess 90 percent of west virginia fans we're ready to start like loading the U-Haul for Neil uh, Brown. No, to send see, him somewhere. Well, well I this think, is the same conversation I, we had last were thinking segment this about is Huggins. maybe the worst loss we could have well, possibly I had. I think those last last show we said and and you said uh, actually, you know, we were talking about what does a loss mean in this game? What does a win mean in this game? And I think at halftime Neil Brown was like, <laughs> like. Look, Austin Kendall may mean nothing for the development of the climb, but we got to win this game because if we don't, then everyone is heading back to base camp. And so I think, oh, to yes. me, I 100% he, agree. he did what he had. It, and Guido, where, and where I'll I give think him all the were, credit. Well, and I think where Guido was going is like, this is a guy that knows how to win a bowl game. He kind of put that stuff to the side and said, look, we right now we got to go out and win this bowl game. We need to take right. some momentum into the off season. We need to build on something, and it cannot be a loss to Army in in the Liberty Bowl. Well, and I'll give him cre- all the credit in the world that he had enough uh, chutzpah to make a change when a change needed to be made. Had he trotted out the same old, same old in the second half, I think uh, like my base camp 
becomes like a city. Like, a like I'm hanging colony. out with, uh, I'm the mayor of yes, the base camp. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. So I think that that's a big change. Now, there's still got to be more changes, though. Just because we won one game and it's against an, a team that, you know, if you want to be considered the upper echelon of college football, you shouldn't be struggling against an army. Right, you and should I, be I agree, but I, think, I think to your point, though, now you've at least given yourself some breathing room to now go and sure. make the changes, sure. right? So I guess that's what I was thinking after that game went, you know, when, so, when yeah, that game so now, went zeros, it was like, okay, like, phew, we, you know, sigh of relief, we don't got to go into the off season with this cloud over us now. Right. Now, okay, we've got some offensive line coming in. We've talked about that in the last couple of episodes. We, so you would think with a stronger offensive line, we should have a continued strong running game with Letty, yep. with uh, Sparrow, with whoever's next in line after Letty. Yeah. Um, hopefully for our sake, Mark Rucker. And then, um, and you f- beyond and you figure that, out this quarterback situation. Yeah, you know, I mean. You, that's, and, 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 and here's That's the thing, Scoot. I, I'm with you on the quarterback thing. I don't think any of us are in love with Jer- the idea of Jared Deggy. And I think that we ha- what we have to remember is that every all the other pieces are falling into place there. The defense looks good. The defense looks good. Is going to look good next year. And you got to remember, there's going to be the whatever next year's Tony Fields is going to come into the program. You're going to get those grad transfers that are going to make a difference too. We've seen them now three years in a row. I think that, you know, we do need to figure out this quarterback position. So let's say, so we go into spring. Yeah. And we go into spring practice and let's say Neil Brown comes out and says, Jared Deggie's our quarterback. He's the guy that's, he's the guy that we're going to follow to go through spring practice. I think, I think the difference is this year more than, more than last year. I think the difference is, is Jared Daigie's leash is going to be a lot shorter than it was this year. Yeah, and you and you can't hardly be surprised if you come out in the spring and that's the answer, right? I mean, it yeah, wouldn't be shocking. I don't shocking think I'm not going to be. I don't, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to be surprised. He's going to have the most. He's going to have the most experience. He's going to have the most game time, and his two main competitors are going to be guys largely that haven't played at all. So I. I don't, you know, prepare to not be shocked if that's the scenario. I'm just not going to be shocked. I'm just not going to be shocked if we have a scenario where two, three game, you know, three games into the season, maybe then you you see Daigie get benched if if it's not going well, and then you see Garrett Green. I, I think that's what the the thought process I have. I don't. I think Daigie probably starts as the starting quarter unless he leaves the program. He starts as the starting quarterback at the beginning of the next season. I just think if he struggles those first three or four games, especially getting in the conference play, I think it's going to be a short leash on him. Yeah, okay. Well, for me in the spring, this is what I would like to see. I would like to see, at the very least, Neil Brown come out and say, you know what, we've got an open competition for quarterback. We want, you know, we want to put the best person behind center that we can. I want Garrett Green to get some reps with the first team guys. Well, and I think you will see that. I mean, I think that's – it's. Even after this bowl game, it's going to be natural. You and know, I'd rather – not that I want to be mediocre. I don't. But I'd rather be – I feel like I justify being mediocre with a freshman quarterback or a, a young quarterback that's going to be leading our program as opposed – I guess I don't want to say it cheapens it, but it feels cheaper with a, with a transfer. It feels like we didn't groom the guy. It feels like we didn't 
build him. And I know we had Will Greer and people were confident in Will Greer. And, but I guess maybe there's a difference in that Jared Dagey is not Will Greer. And Will Greer got off to a really good start in college football and kind of came in with a little bit of a pedigree. And, and you know, when he got the opportunity to play at WVU, it felt comfortable with Will Greer as quarterback. I don't know that it feels comfortable with Jarrett Dagey. I just expect him to put what he feels like is the best chance of winning at the position on the field. And I'm not going to be shocked if that's still Jarrett Dagey because I think it's unfair to the other two guys we're talking about to just act like they're going to step on the field, everything's going to click, and they're going to be okay. I mean, that would be awesome, but I think it's – I I think it's dis, you know disingenuous to just think that's miraculously going to happen. Well, and we've got to beat the Texas Techs. We can't we can't start keep laying eggs to those types of teams. Well, and and the interesting thing will be that you know we start off in College Park against you know uh, a Maryland team that has struggled over the past couple of years with Mike Loxley, but you know is building a program there. So. It'll be interesting that, you know, he's going to come out and he's going to play a team that's better than the Army team that he just got benched playing. So, But let's go back to the bowl game just for a minute and and just, you know, give props where props are due. Letty Brown, tough game, didn't get that many yards, 65 yards uh, net um, after you count losses and everything in there. Um, but got over 1,000 yards this year. So that's a definite plus for, yeah. you know, the running game. Yeah. So – so good for him. Uh, you know, you saw T.J. Simmons finish strong, two touchdowns with a, a you know a nice you know catch for that ta- that lead getting touchdown right there at the end of the game. Um, so good for him. And then on the defensive side, it was an all North Central West Virginia kind of game with you know as we said earlier, Darius and Dante having great games. I mean, Dante had was in on four tackles, Darius in on three, uh, Dante Bonamico was out there playing his heart out. Another North Central West Virginia guy with 10 tackles. And Dylan Tonkery, who stepped into a role that he used to play coming back in with Tony Fields being uh, out and just having a great game with 11 tackles. Yeah, he had a great game, and some of those tackles were just really key tackles in situations we had to have. So, yeah, they played terrific. Now let me ask you guys a question. This is totally – we did not plan for this, which is how I like to do things. Uh, so let's say uh, WVU were to hand out the musket stickers on the helmet. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, I loved those. I mean, which I miss those too. offensive player do you think would have a helmet covered in the most musket stickers? Based on the season or based on based the based on game? the season? Based on that. Well, I think Letty Brown. I think I have to go with Letty Brown of all of them, and that's coming off of the fact that you know not only did he have a great season running. But he had a great season running in front of a young offensive line after a terrible season of numbers last year. So I'm I'm definitely in the Letty Brown side of things. Yeah, I'd Johnson, go, how about you? I, I'd go. I mean, Letty is who comes to mind as well, just because I think he had a great season individually. But I think as a team, that unit, the offensive line. I mean, I think Neil Brown will be the first to point to when he's talking about you know, what strides, what improvements he'll point to statistics running the ball last year versus this year. So yeah, that's where my mind goes is Letty. So offensively, well, for me (laughs) offensively, yeah, I think Letty would have a lot of stickers. I do think that I think maybe a close second could be a guy like, uh, 
it's crazy to say this as a freshman, could be a guy like Zach Frazier, who was able to play a bunch of different spots on the offensive line, started most of the time. You know, sometimes he was at center, sometimes he was at a guard, sometimes I think he even played tackle some. So um, I think he had a really good season. Uh, offensively also, I guess for me, maybe maybe you wouldn't have a ton of stickers, but would have been a guy that would have more stickers than you would have thought of. Might be like a guy like Michael Laughlin, the tight end, who um, – if we went years like Anthony Becht was probably the last time we even realized we had that position. Um, and now all of a sudden we're starting to throw to a tight end again. So um, I think he would be a guy that would kind of catch me off guard. How about defensively Guido? Uh, you know, I think defensively, I mean, you definitely would want to think one of the stills brothers, uh, you know, being leaders and being out there, but I'll say Josh Chandler, Samedo had a pretty awesome season for somebody that I don't know if we all expected him to have a, a great season. So, I mean, again, finishing and also finishing strong with 13, ta 10 tackles or whatever, 10 solo tackles uh, at the bowl game. Johnson. Yeah. I know Scoot wants me to say Jared Bartlett. Um, <laughs> and I do, and I am a Jared Bartlett fan, but I think much like the announcer from the second game of the season. Yes. Much to watch some sort of scout tape. Made a big from impression a, with that guy. from the blue gold game or something. I'm not sure where he saw that hill, the highlight film. But, but I think for me, you know, uh, even though he's not with us in the bowl game, I think Tony Fields would have had a, a helmet covered in musket stickers because you can't, um, you know, you can't discount someone who's leading pretty much every game in tackles. You know, the the games where what which game Guido did he? unfortunately got disqualified for the targeting we, you know we talked about how big of an impact oh, yeah. that was for that the, that portion of a game so i think you know that's who in addition to the obvious you know darius and, and even dante on that on that defensive line i think i think my mind goes to tony fields i'm going to throw out another name on defense see the defense i think it, for me it's easier to find the bright spots because i really technically, don't technically you could name anyone you could yeah, yeah i mean it's could, so defense is so hard because they so all should have people. like yeah. tyke smith right. There were times yes. throughout the season yeah. where people nationally were saying that Tyke Smith might be the best defender in the whole Big and he 12. Might be. Right. But yeah. somehow he doesn't right. make all conference, any team all <laughs> right. conference, but he's like a national, <laughs> you know, AP, what well, I don't know if he was second or I think he was second team AP All-American or something like but he doesn't make all conference. So Tyke Smith would have a lot of muskets. Hakeem Prince Hakeem Mesador yeah, as a I'm freshman sure, yeah. defensive lineman also probably yeah. would have a ton of of uh, muskets on his helmet. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could go. Nick, Troy, Fortune, they all had really good seasons. Yeah, really good. And I'll be And a lot of them are coming back. I mean, we've got a lot of those names are coming back next year, which is yeah. is, is exciting. You know, you got a guy like Akeem Mesador who is a freshman. I mean, he's a, fr he's a f true freshman out there playing. So it'll be exciting to have him come back. But it was nice that I feel like, Scoot, and we said this, you know, we said that it was important to win that bowl game. You know, and Johnson's right. Coach Brown knows how to he, – he was going to coach to a win, and he coached to win that bowl game. Um, and here's an odd stat for you. Coach Brown has had an onside kick in three of his four bowl game wins that he's uh, gotten <laughs> really? back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So West Virginia beats Army 24-21 in the Liberty Bowl down in Memphis. A couple other, you know, sort of end-of-year football house-cleaning things that we need to talk about. Uh, Darius Stills, congratulations to him. First 
team AP All-American. It's the first one we've had since. Can you guys guess? Can you guys guess? Uh, Daryl Talley. 2012? No. no. Tavon Austin. Tavon yeah. Austin in 2012 was a first team AP All-American. Daryl Talley. It's like, what, 90? <laughs> 80 throw, what? Throw um, name. Congratulations, Zach Frazier. Also was a freshman All-American. Uh, Letty Brown with over 100 or over 1,000 yards this season. First player to do that since the 2017 season. So all of those good things to talk about. And then uh, – some rumors that are kind of floating out there. So we've we've talked about uh, one player coming back to West Virginia from home. Another one that's kind of floating out there, Darnell Wright. You mentioned it, I think, last week on the show. Starting to hear some rumors he might be coming back to Morgantown. That would be uh, a, a big coup because I believe he was a five-star uh, recruit out of Huntington High. And like I said, we, we talked about this earlier. Uh, you do not want to mess with anybody from Spring Valley or Huntington during the uh, last five years. Uh, interesting Big 12 news. So probably to no shock to anybody, Texas fires Tom Herman after, uh, I guess, not making them national champions. Or doing that poor dance that he did, uh, that one weird, like, what was it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. it was some sort of weird... Uh, was it a sad cow hands dance or something? Yeah, he was doing yeah, some that, sort of yeah. weird like the, the weird cow hands dance. Cow or hands, yeah. Well, and yeah. we say to no one's surprise, but I think this was what a week, two weeks or something after they said Tom Herman's our guy moving forward, and right. we're not making a coaching change. Oh, by the way, he's fired. Like that seemed weird to me, and I think um, you know now. I think the what we're hearing, what is uh, Steve Sarkeesian from Alabama? I guess is the leading candidate for that. It, oh, he um, no, he is the next head coach. Has he officially yeah, he's a, been it's named? Official. Okay, yeah. So the Nick Saban coaching tree falls into the Big Twelve now, as Steve Sarkeesian is now the next head coach of the Longhorns. So, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't make me afraid of him next year, but you know, we'll see how. I, again, it's another one of those weird things with like guys like. You know the Lane Kiffins of the world who come fall off of the fall off of these coaching trees from these amazing coaches that win championships, and uh, you know will they succeed or do they just bounce around for a couple of seasons? So, now speaking of coaching we'll, we'll changes, Guido, there was yeah. another big coaching change, uh, pretty close to home, close to that Milton location there uh, at uh, down there in Huntington, the Big Green, Marshall, and. Um, now, did Doc Holliday get fired, or was that a resignation? They just they just did not extend his contract. Yeah, so his contract technically comes up, I think, at the end of the fiscal year, which is June. So by not yeah, okay. renewing his contract, they're saying, "Hey, you're not, you won't be back next season," which I think is odd, Scoot, because you know when I when I heard this, you can't help but acknowledge that this comes like three weeks after Doc was named Coach of the Year for Conference USA. Now, I know they had like an implosion last three games of the year, but this just feels so weird. It's very strange. I can't help but think it might have something to do with his mask on mask. Maybe it's the mask the situation. No strings there. attached. The no strings attached. Mask on mask. Well, and I think here's a guy, Guido, just really fast back to Scoot's point. I mean, you know, Doc, obviously we know Doc was was in Morgantown for so many years, but he, he, you know, he's from Hurricane. You have to say it like Hurricane or people get mad at you. Um, He knows the area. Scoot, I think he was the eighth 
highest paid coach in Conference USA. I mean, really? He wasn't really like, raking it in, if you're if no. that's what you're so, getting at. I guess my when I heard this, you know, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to what goes on at Marshall, but when I heard this, my first thought was and I'm sure there's reasons that people are like, Yes, let's move on, let's let's you know, let's go with somebody new, but I'm not sure who you're gonna get to want to be there as much as he did be okay not making a whole lot of money and still keep the team relevant and winning and in the conversation for things so you know the whole thing to me just felt really weird when i read that the names that are being floated are interesting the names that are coming out are super interesting i mean you know you've gone you've gotten some of the crazy ones that i don't even know if are real like you've heard rich rod's name get thrown out there um, but Byron Leftwich, who is currently the offensive coordinator with Tampa Bay, is that correct? Yes. And so his his name's been tossed out there a little bit. Um, you know, you've Gerard Parker. Yeah. Gerard Gerard yeah, or, Parker. or Jared, <laughs> but we like to call him Gerard. We call him Gerard, but yeah, Gerard, uh, Gerard. Gerard Parker. And we've also seen um, Tony Gibson's name yes. pushed out there too. You know, I think Tony Gibson's right. He's from Logan. Um, he certainly knows the area. He's a West Virginia guy. He's still the defensive coordinator at North Carolina State, um, but they expect to have conversations with him too. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, I just think that whenever I see stuff like this, I tend to be on the side of, like, be careful what you wish for type of stuff, you know? So Well, and you know, whenever I start, you know, I feel like this is a, always a media thing where they're just going to pull out the most names of – guys that are either connected to the state or to the program first. And then it's always from somewhere else that it gets. Jared Parker was an interesting one though. Cause I don't think that was on anybody's at least not my radar. I wasn't even thinking, well, I wonder where Jared Parker well, was like, born. And cause I feel like scoot, I feel like scoot. You're the one who started that rumor I mean, on Twitter, to be honest with you. I, I, <laughs> I did not start it, but scoots greasing up the rail I, in Morgantown right help, now. I so. might help push it, but I did not start it. <laughs> I, it'll be interesting. So good luck to all of those herd fans down there. With, I see uh, where you're going with this, Scooch. You wanna, you wanna coup. You secretly want a coup of Jared Parker to Huntington with a Jared Deggy follows him in the transfer portal. Is that what you're maybe. saying? Maybe. Yes. That, I'm well, just saying. Go. I mean, I hate that for Grant Wells, but maybe that's something in the offering. Would you? Uh, would you take Grant Wells as your quarterback in Morgantown? Uh, yes. Yes, you would. would. So maybe maybe it's a trade. Maybe we do a little trade. We could right trade. There. You know, that would do be that. something. We're close. NCAA is close to allowing that. I think trades. So I think it might happen here in the, you know, one of the next couple of years. So you know, before I'm sorry, Guido. One quick thing, and I just thought of this when we were talking about potential coaches. One thing that maybe uh, and going back to WVU and we talked about how well the defense did, and we went through this whole rigmarole in the beginning of the season the preseason with Vic Koning leaving and and being uh, kind of asked to right. leave and that falling out there the defense did so well and I know we talked a little bit about the effect that Jamala Dye and Jordan Leslie had on the defense kind of being co-coordinators but I'm and I don't know anything obviously but I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering. As long as you can if, admit that. As long as you can admit that. That's all that matters. Jeff Castile's impact in the meeting rooms and on the sidelines and at the, you know, on the practice field, having been a former defensive coordinator at several, you know, 
power five conference schools. I can't help but think that that didn't have some sort of positive impact on the defense. Yeah, it may have. I mean, you know, it, I, I, I think that the defense was going to be good going into this year, no matter what. And I mean, everybody was like, "Oh, Vic Koenig." Remember, remember we talked about it. It was, "Oh, Vic Koenig's gone. The defense is going to stink now." Well, good luck. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. They won't stop a nosebleed. Yeah, right. And you know, look what, what happened. All those people—they're eating their words now. So, yeah, it's it's it was interesting. Well, listen, everybody, thanks for sticking with us. We know this was a long show, but there was a lot to unwrap. First of the year, lots of football. It'll all go back to normal starting next week. We're going to bring back Bluff the Fluffs. Maybe Scoot will pull something off the internet. Maybe we'll we'll let him. You know, oh, it's play a new season. It's, 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 it's all going to refresh next week. Yeah, new season of Bluff the Fluffs. So. We're gonna see what, how we're gonna how that might suss out. Maybe a little, maybe a couple of changes. There might be a couple of changes to the new season. You know, give Scoot a, a little bit better of a chance. Yeah, that's right. Like, we'll do guess the food or something. So the script is gonna be different, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe we'll see. Nobody knows, Scoot. Nobody knows. So, everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate you sticking with us for such a long time. Uh, it's probably the longest podcast episode in our history. So, uh, you got that going for us, which is nice. Uh, everybody have a great week. Don't forget. You can find us on social media. Look for us on Instagram and Twitter at got your ears on. You can also find us on the internet. Check our website out. Got your ears get that merch, get that pullover guys shirt. They're flying like hotcakes off of the, uh, off the presses. So you better order them before they're all gone. Pullover guy. Uh, you know, a little support for uh, Huggins there. We'll give a, we'll give a dollar. We'll give a dollar of every shirt to, uh, to uh we don't make any money on those shirts so i i guess we we'd be giving away a dollar <laughs> we'll give a dollar of every of those shirts to the to his uh, fish fry foundation there so uh for his, for the cancer research center there so um definitely check that out go to gotyearson.com find our merch section everybody thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another episode thanks to Brent Solheim for joining us you've been listening to got your ears on